We're starting a series called Questions Jesus Ask. And I want you to turn, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. We will put the passage on the screen as we do 99.9% of the time in just a little bit. But turn there if you would. It's good to it'd be good today to have an open Bible as you follow along with us as we read this story. But the question I have about this series, Questions Jesus Ask, is why would Jesus ask questions? When you and I ask questions, why, why do we ask? Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Why do you ask questions? We're, blow, we're just blowing your mind this morning, aren't we? To get answers, you want to find something out. You, you need to know. Why then would Jesus ask questions? Psalm 139, Lord, you, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when you, know, you know when I rise up. You know my, my thoughts from afar. You know my comings and my goings. You're well acquainted with my ways. You know the words that I'm going to say before they roll off the tongue. Psalm 139, scholars have a fancy word for that. They call it, they say God is omniscient. He knows everything. Why then would Jesus ask questions? We're going to learn in this series that he asked questions to probe, to penetrate our hearts, to uh, examine, allow us to examine our motives, to dig deeper into things. But let me just say, you'll learn, you'll see why Jesus asked questions. You'll get a snippet of it today and more in the weeks to come. But let me just say, my wife and I were looking at this on the, on the internet this week. There's a list of questions that dating couples ought to ask, okay? Now, I'm just going to tell you this morning, as we start this series, Questions Jesus Asked, y'all need to ask questions. Don't you agree? We all need to ask questions. I said last week, if you were here Easter Sunday, that the people that are the best relationally are people that ask questions. They ask questions and listen. They take time to learn, to learn from you, to learn from experiences in life. The best small group leaders, if you're in a group and the group's kind of lame, maybe you just have some losers in that group. Call Nick and get another group, right? But groups sink or swim in many ways related to the questions that you ask. The questions that are asked, the questions that you ask to each other in community. But let me just say, ask questions. Dating couples, ladies, all my single ladies, ask that man some questions. We were looking at this this week. Ask him. He comes to church. You come to church. He walks up to you. He's playing his game, right? Ask him, what's your motive? All right? Don't just play the God card, right? What is your motive? Why are you talking to me now? What do you want from me? What is your name? Do you have your daddy's name? Who's your mama and your daddy? Do you live with them? Do you live in an apartment or a house? Do you have a job? Where do you work? How long have you worked there? How much do you make? How's your credit? Do you mind if I see your credit score? Do you have insurance? If you were to die today, could you pay for your own funeral? Do you shower in the morning or shower at night? Do you shower every few days sometimes? What is your relationship with soap and water? <laughs> Ask questions. What do you want in life? How are, what are you like when you're mad? Do you cuss and throw things and beat people up? What are you like when you don't get your way? What is your way? Where do you see yourself in a few years? Are you just saying that? Are you just saying that to get something from me just because we're in church? You think I'm going to be easy like that? 
Questions. Questions. Ask questions. And we all ask questions because we need to know. But for Jesus, it's a little different. John chapter 5, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 9. We'll follow along in the ESV. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, those who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there, an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, here's our question from Jesus today, uh, probably the most uh, seemingly insensitive one that he asked. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Incidentally, the... the, The end part there is mentioned because Jesus did a lot of his healing on the Sabbath. He chose to because he wanted to show people, the very religious people, that what they were adding to the law and adding to the Sabbath, and they were were putting an extra weight on people. Jesus would say later, hey, you religious people, you're making people bear a weight that they cannot bear. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will what? I will give you rest. I will be your rest. I am the Sabbath. So, so many of Jesus' healings and his miracles happened on the Sabbath by design to upset the apple cart, to challenge the religious status quo. Here you see the historical context, the place, the geography of this is Bethesda. You, you guys recognize that name? Uh, that is a, it means house of mercy. In the original language, and it, uh, we in, in America, we have a, a place named. We have a famous naval hospital that's called Bethesda. It's in Bethesda, and the hospital there is a house of healing where people come for help, for healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. We see here those called invalids in the ESV, those who are blind, who were lame, not like lame, like you say lame but a different lame, a physical lame, a more tragic lame, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And they waited. They waited by this pool. Now, if you came today and you heard that we were going to talk about people hanging out by a pool, you would think, cool. In fact, it's almost warm enough to go do that now. But this one man that Jesus encountered, who was he? Why did Jesus choose him? Why was he and these others there? Well, they wanted mercy. They, they wanted healing. Hence, what I said earlier about the insensitivity or the seeming insensitivity of Jesus's question, do you want to be healed? And these beggars, thousands, would line the thoroughfares and they would gain their daily sustenance through the receiving of alms given to them, gifts, food, clothing, the essentials given to them by pilgrims on the way. Remember, this was a holy city, and so there were pilgrims. There were people that were, lived there or that were journeying there, uh, a lot of tourists and people coming and going, and this was an opportunity for them to receive from people. But they, they had superstition. No doubt, anybody learned in the room would, understands that in ancient times, superstitions were far greater. You, you get that, right? But don't, don't let us think for a second, that we're not superstitious people. 
We have things that we do, things that we wait for, things that we're hoping in, silly little things, what, what we wear and repetition and little OCD things, little magic prayer cloths and stuff that we hope for. And they waited and they waited and they waited. And the scripture tells us in John chapter five that this one particular man, this one lame man, this invalid waited 38 years by the pool. And their superstition would tell them that the first one in could be healed. Uh, one of our superstitions, one of our little sayings is, last one there is what? A rotten egg. And they would say the first one in the pool, when the waters were stirred, that first one in would be healed. Legend had it that angels would come and at random would stir the waters. And when the waters were stirred, they looked for a, a carbonated salvation. When the waters were stirred, be the first one in. Here we see an encounter where Jesus asked a question to probe deeper, to go further, and he, and, and he heals this man. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you believe in healing? Do you? It's a question that can stir it up from us, can it? It's a, it's a question that could bring both comfort and pain and excitement but do you believe in healing? Um, some time ago, I was doing some chores around the house. I know my wife now would like to insert the, the fact that it was some time ago I was doing these chores around the house. I had a hammer, and this hammer landed on my finger hard. And when it landed on the finger, my finger, th there began an immediate series of processes. I'm going to throw some words at you. These are large words. Say them out loud with me if you would. The first one, the first process is nociception. This was a process immediately where it sent pain signals to my brain and little platelets went to the area that was wounded. It began immediately the process that would lead to the blood clotting that would stop the bleeding and keep the body from infection. That, this involved polymorphonuclear neutrophil. The area was flooded with little things that would eat the bacteria. One of those things, microphages. And these were like little Pac-Men that would eat up what ought to be eaten up in that area. And I learned two lessons that day. The first is, I see a couple of doctors just laughing at me now. I love to get outside of my area. You know, it's just fun. It's just fun. I learned a couple of lessons that day. Number one, never do chores. Secondly... Healing happens. Healing happens in our bodies. God has created this uh, regenerative process. When all those things, I was talking about those fancy words, those processes were immediately happening in my body, regenerative new tissue was beginning to replace the old tissue. Can I say this morning, healing happens. It happens in our bodies. I think it's comedian Stephen Wright who jokes. He says, what if all the scars you ever had in life appeared suddenly on your body, right? That'd be, we would grimace. We would shriek in horror. Healing happens. There's a regeneration in our bodies. There's a regeneration in the earth. Those who know me well know that I love a place called Fort Collins, Colorado. It's where I studied in seminary. It's where I met my wife. It's where I would go every other summer when I worked with a campus crusade called crew summer of 89 summer 91 93 95 97 99 
2001. I spent those summers out there. And one of those summers, we went to this amazing national park. And they had a, a forest fire that just raged, a wildfire raged through this park, this beautiful scenic part of alpine beauty there in Colorado. And it made the national news and it took out thousands and thousands of acres. I think um, later it was found out that there was an arsonist who had started it. Tough stuff. We were back later and noticed that what used to be ugly and charred, there was greenery. There was some seeds that were beginning to sprout and to take shape. The next time I came back, a couple of years later, it was more scenic, more lush, greener and fuller than I had ever seen it. A park ranger told me that it hadn't been for that fire, it wouldn't be quite this beautiful. In our bodies, healing happens. In the earth, healing happens. This man, this, this beggar, this man who received Jesus' healing, why would Jesus ask him this question that seems so tough, so brutal? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? You and I go to great lengths to be healed. This man wasn't waiting around the pool to get a tan. He was waiting for that very thing. But if you'll look and you'll see verse 7, if you have an open Bible, you'll see in verse 7, uh, we put it on the screen a minute ago, but this man was probably a bitter man. Your initial response is, how could he not be? But this man would say, hey, no one will help me. Others will rush. They, they, they get in front of me to make the way. They have help. They have people that will help them get into the waters when the waters are stirred. But no one will help me. Jesus was probably saying to him, because he knew he was going to heal him, he was probably saying to him, are you ready to leave all of your excuses? Are you ready to leave your excuses behind. That happens when we're healed. That happens when something that's plagued us gets taken away. Not to make light of something real serious, but you know, I played golf a couple years ago with some guys. I had a bad back. I didn't play well. I wanted to play well. I was with some guys I wanted to impress. But every time I hit a bad shot, what would I do? Just blame my back. But then you go back when your back is better, and then who do you blame? What do you blame, right? Jesus, I think, was saying, do you want to leave behind your excuses? And secondly, I, was think, I think he's thinking, as he asked him this question, that seems cruel on the surface, he was saying, are you ready for new responsibility? Are you ready to take on new responsibility? If you look down and you'll see in verse 10 that this guy that was healed, the first thing really that happens to him after his healing is he has a clash with the Pharisees. Why did he have a clash with the Pharisees? They were more concerned that he had been healed on the Sabbath. Jesus wants to know, are you ready? Because here's this man for 38 years had not had to worry about keeping the law, about holding down a job, about paying taxes, about pulling his own weight. And Jesus is saying to him, are you ready to leave those excuses behind because I'm going to heal you? Are you ready to take on new responsibility because life is about to change? Do you believe that God heals? When I was a young man, there was um, a really bad mole on my foot. My grandmother prayed that the mole would be removed, that God would remove the mole. The mole's gone. I believe God healed me. 
We wouldn't take the time today, but I wonder if we could, if there would be any other stories where you felt like God had healed you. When I was going out of town this weekend, I stopped it up in Madison. I was going to Oxford, okay, for the weekend. God needs to heal me of that. But had a great weekend in Oxford, but stopped in Madison at the Chick-fil-A up there because I just needed to study. I, I needed to try to get more sermon ready before I left town. So I got away from my family, didn't start heading too far north and just stopped. And someone came in the Chick-fil-A there that recognized me. It was a, one of the deputy sheriffs and he came over and said hello and we were talking. He said, Robert, how's it going? I'm hearing good things about Fondren. God bless you guys. We were doing some fun, small talk. He said, what are you preaching on Sunday? I said, man, I'm, this is going to be a tough one, but I'm asking, and we're preaching John 5, where Jesus meets this lame man and asks him, do you want to be healed? And we're talking about healing. And said, let me tell you, he said, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story when I came up on a scene of a wreck, and God told me to pray for this little boy that probably wasn't going to make it. And God was telling me, go pray for him, that his life would be spared. I remember a couple of years ago, seeing something on the news, reading it in the paper. I talked to the man who was healed. I talked to the doctors about that very healing. I do believe that God heals. That man told me Friday, that sheriff at Chick-fil-A told me, he goes, Robert, I believe God does heal. I just believe we don't see a lot of it. We're not looking for it a lot. There's a lot out there that we're not aware of. When I worked with Campus Crusade for Christ and traveled the world for 14 years out of college, I went to places, taking the Jesus film to remote places in the world. And I would follow people like Paul Eshelman and some others, men and women, who just had a gift. And I saw healing. I saw people be healed in very dramatic ways. Do you believe, beyond just the healing process that God has put in our bodies and in the earth and around us, do you believe that God heals? I want, though, this morning to put this in the context of a couple of passages. Because I want our church to be sound theologically. I don't want our church just to be led experientially. While I believe there are stories of what God did, I believe one time in my life he did something crazy and miraculous. I'm here, I'm telling you today, I believe it. I believe I've seen God do healing works. But I want to set this against the backdrop of a couple of passages. So stay with me and follow me here. Jesus healed, but he didn't heal everybody. He healed some people. And when he healed some people, he would say, go and tell. And he loved the fact that people stood in wonder and amazement. And then it seemed to be more hush-hush at other times. Here you see Jesus probably was facing some danger. So he healed, kind of snuck a little bit, snuck away. But there seems to be just this lack of fairness and lack of, of, of an equitable distribution when it comes to healing of Jesus in biblical times, just like today, Right? I know a couple of folks in our, in our fellowship, Barbie Scales over here, Ramona Troy somewhere over here, who both have fought cancer and have beaten it and probably today would stand up here and say, my God is a healing God. He's healed me and he's in the process of healing me and I'm trusting him for more healing this day. But that's not true of everybody, is it? So without being too spooky... Let's be biblical. Let's learn a little bit. I want you to learn before you go here in a little bit. In Acts chapter 3, there's a story. You, you don't have to turn there. I'll just talk to you about it. You look at it later. Maybe jot it down. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, fought Jesus, some of Jesus' early and closest followers, they're going to a place similar to what we see here. And by the way, I want to say this about the house of mercy 
the place of Bethesda, the pool that we named a naval hospital after in Maryland. They, uh, in 1948, the same year that this sanctuary was built, archaeologists unearthed inscription with the Bethesda pool on it and all the things that it talks about in John chapter 5 with the colonnades and the pools and everything were found in this area. So another good example of archaeology backing up what Scripture talks about. Just want to throw that one out, out there for you. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going, and they see a man who needed healing very badly. He, like the man in the story of John chapter 5, he had other people helping him. He was dependent on the giving and alms of other people. And they, the scripture tells us in Acts 3 that they looked at Peter and John. The man looked at him hoping that they had something. Do you remember the response of Peter and John? It's somewhat famous if you've been around church. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And scripture tells us that his feet and his ankles were strengthened, that he got up and that he walked. And it says that he was leaping, walking, jumping, and praising God. And the people around him greeted that with wonder and astonishment. But there are, I think, some principles as we look through the book of Acts that demonstrate some really important things about, uh, I would call them the directions of healing and the work that God does. The first is, the first direction that's very important is the upward direction. Acts chapter 3 and verse 16, look at it on the screen. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know and was made strong, it is, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. It's his fame, his glory. Every moment, every ounce, every iota, every instance of healing points upward to our Savior, to Jesus. The second direction that I would submit to you when God heals, and we see this throughout the book of Acts, is forward. Forward. Look at Acts chapter 3 and verse 21. We'll put that on the screen as well. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus is foretelling. Jesus is saying that there comes a time of future restoration. Not all not now, not completely, but there will be a time when God will restore everything. As a church body, we see some people healed. We see some, apparently they're not being healed. And what we need to do is understand the direction of healing is always to Jesus, always vertical, never horizontal, always forward, pointing to the day when God will restore everything to its original design. The third direction of healing that we learn in the book of Acts is it's an inward healing. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What kind of healing does God care most about? You see, when we see these stories, 
It's easy for us to think of the faith healers. It's easy for us to think of the famous preachers, to think of the TV evangelists, to think of the dramatic things. But when we see in the book of Acts, when healing has taken place, it's in the context of upward, always about Jesus, forward. We're not going to understand it all. There is going to be a day of ultimate restoration and healing. Not everyone, not now. And then it's inward, that we would repent because Scripture wants us to know, God wants all of us to know today that we're all spiritually crippled. We're all blinded by our sin. We all are spiritually blind and lamed and paralyzed. It's holding us back. And in the context of this healing, there's this invitation, repent, receive these times of refreshment only by looking honestly at your sin. Jesus didn't come and move big rocks and levitate and write things in the sky just to show his power. He did it for a reason, to let us look upward, to, to move us forward and to cause us all, all of us, as a body of people, of believers, to look inward and say, God, what's holding me back? And where do I need healing? Ultimately, where do I need spiritual healing? And then the last direction is an interesting one, but if you study Acts, it's the downward direction. In, in superhero stories of our day, when men and women, when they don these superpowers and perform great things. These, these people are, in many ways, the stories make them invincible. Look, look what they did. Look what powers they have. But in Acts, the early church, when they healed in the name of Jesus, when they saw amazing things happen in people's souls and minds and bodies and spirits, it made them vulnerable. The book of Acts teaches us that the church is to move toward the healing of the nations as it concludes such in Revelation. And that when we heal, when we're involved in the healing process of seeing people be restored in their minds with their mental health and their bodies with physical health, and we call on the mighty hand of God, it makes us more vulnerable. For to be a healing community where we pray for each other, we display our vulnerability, and we have to give ourselves away to bring healing to other people. I'm looking out at some great servants who are in our church who give themselves for our neighbors and the nations. And everybody I know, the people that I'm looking at now who love and serve deeply are people that see healing in the lives of other people. But you have to give yourself away. When you relieve or alleviate suffering in another, according to Jesus, according to what the scripture teaches, then you take on a form of suffering yourself. For you give time, you give money, you give energy. Does God heal? Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked this man. Do you want to be made well? I believe, I believe that he heals. I stand here today, I buy this hook, line, and sinker, lock, stock, and barrel. It's certified, bona fide. I believe God has healed me in my younger days to get my attention, to show me a sign and a wonder to point me to Jesus. I believe he's done some healings in our church, and I believe that he desires more. But it all has to be according to the character of God as he points us upward, forward, inward, and downward. Last week on Easter Sunday, we looked at Jesus' question, 
Do you believe? In John 11, with the story of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, he said, I am the resurrection of the life. And then he asked him the question, do you believe? He desires that you have faith. How do you please God? According to Hebrews 11, you must realize that he is and that he is, listen to this, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Whatever your prayer, wherever you need to be made well, wherever you're, sealing, wherever you're seeking God to heal you, be a diligent seeker of God. Will it take 38 years? I don't know. Will it be an ultimate restoration and healing on the other side? I don't know. But be a diligent seeker of God. But here's what Hebrews 11 goes on to tell us. It tells the stories of Gideon and Samson and David and Solomon and a lot of other people of men and women who all, listen, who all demonstrated great faith. And it says that in demonstrating great faith, this was the result for some. For some, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. I'm quoting from Hebrews 11. They closed the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. Don't you want that to be the result of your faith? I mean, just heroic, amazing, just astonishment. Look at what God does. I believe he has that. I believe that will be the result of our faith if we diligently seek him. But Hebrews 11, talking about some of the same people who demonstrated just as much faith in the same great God. It says that they face jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. That they went around in sheepskin, miserable, desolate, Pathetic. I'm quoting from Hebrews 11. It says that some of them were stoned to death. Some of them were sawed in two. Some of them were killed by the sword. And look at this beautiful phrase in Hebrews chapter 11. Those who were tortured, says, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Did they not have enough faith? Or did they have a different lot from a sovereign God? And Hebrews 11 praises them all. And I want to stand here in front of you today and teach you what the Bible teaches. Our God is a resurrection God. Our God is a healing God. And one of the prayers that I pray, and I've got two people in this church keeping me accountable and questioning me often, but I don't want to be a person who prevents God from doing any healing, miraculous work and wonders in our church. In fact, I ask you, all of you, to pray for me, that God's Spirit would be manifest in our church family, that we would see healing take place as he intends, that we would be people of faith who pray to that end. But in teaching all of the scripture, teaching the complete heart of God, in seeing acts unfold where healing goes, goes upward and inward and forward and downward. And when we see we're faith, sometimes it's the heroic stuff and sometimes it's just the hard stuff. I know a man who prayed and prayed and prayed, was going through something really tough physically. His church family prayed long and hard for his healing. Oftentimes, he would sit in church with glassy eyes from his pain medication. But he and his church family kept praying, and finally, a different kind of miracle took place. This man, Tim, discovered a gift. He knew, he never knew he had a gift, this gift for writing. Today, he's written a number of best-selling books, and one of them is called You Gotta Keep Dancing. The writer of this book says, I had prayed 
hundreds if not thousands of times for the Lord to heal me. And finally, he did heal me. He healed me of the need to be healed and gave me his peace inside the pain. Joy is mine today. Joy mingled with still ever constant pain. Joy in the gladness of being alive. Daily challenges often leave me less than the best, but then something new emerges to surprise me. Hope, deeper and more enduring than ever before. Faith, not enough to move mountains, but enough to get me through this moment and the next. And love. So sometimes we pray and still the problem doesn't go away. And listen to this interesting paradox. But that does not mean that we can't take up our mat and walk. A lot of us need healing today. There's all kind of healing that's needed. A couple of weeks ago, someone said something to me and I turned to them and I was ready to say something back to them. And I knew what I was going to say. It was a real snappy rebuttal quick-witted, funny. It would belittle them a little bit and put them in their place. It'd be words of retribution. But as I looked at them, I stopped. And you know what? It's going to be hard for a lot of you to believe. Don't say anything. But I didn't say anything. Not a bit. You know what? I didn't need to. God healed me and is healing me. And can I say today, if it disturbs you, that's okay, because sometimes church ought to be disturbing. But some of you don't want to get well. Some of you aren't ready to go home and pour that alcohol down the sink. Some of you aren't willing to give up the gossip and tearing other people down. Some of you aren't willing to do the things to get well because you'll have to give up your lame excuses and you'll have to take on new responsibilities. And just as this man, Jesus knew because he knows the deepest motive, just as this man never had to worry about keeping the law, never had to worry about religious people hovering over him or holding a job or paying taxes or pulling his own weight, he was going to have to take on new responsibilities. And so would you if Jesus made you well. So his question is actually a good one. For some of you that are wrestling with something deep and something hard, if I've offended you today by saying something, shoot me an email and I'll try my best to tell you, I didn't mean that. But I'm telling you, the question is a good one. Do you want to get well? I believe in faith. I believe in faith that just keeps on asking and keeps on coming and keeps on sitting by the pool, but not looking at superstition to help us, but looking upward to our Savior. And I pray today that God gives us healing. I pray that he heals us of our diseases. God is a healing God. He wants to bring healing to us. In Exodus 19, 4, it talks about, I carried you. I didn't treat you like Egypt. I treated you like Israel, and I carried you on eagle's wings. In Psalm 91, 4, he says, you're sheltered under the wings of the mother eagle of God of me. In Malachi 4, 2, it says that there's healing in his wings. God always wants to nudge his people to move toward healing. The fact that he's a safe haven, a refuge, someone who carries us, someone who protects us, someone who gives us what we need, who brings healing. At Christmas time, we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How does that go? Life and love to all he brings. What's the next line? Risen 
with healing in his wings.